Last week, on the Lords of Grantham podcast, we talked Belgravia, episode 2. In that episode, Anne Trenchard revealed to Lady Brockenhurst that she has a long-lost grandson, that Lady Brockenhurst's son, Ed- Edmund, happened to hook up with Anne Trenchard's daughter, Sophia, before he went off to war. He got her pregnant, and the thing is, they weren't actually married, so it wasn't a legitimate child there, and so they've kept it secret this entire time. Lady Brockenhurst couldn't resist meeting this child, Charles Pope, and then holding a huge party to have him meet the whole world that she's with, meet the Earl of Brockenhurst, Tom Wilkinson, maybe set him on his way to help uh, with his business and everything, and as Anne Trenchard figures out by the end of the episode, subtly hint to everyone around that this Pope character is related to the Brockenhurst. I know that was a complicated explanation. There was a lot going on in Belgravia, and we'll dig through that and more this week on the Lords of Grantham podcast. Today I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. Don't feel like kicking. And we're back at the halfway mark of Belgravia. What is going on, Corey? Not too much. How about you, Dave? Same old, you know, finally cooled down. Not as humid and gross. Hot, though. Where, hot, but it's summer. I'll take hot if it's comfy. Yeah, it was pretty good over the weekend. And, and you know, we had heard about how there's that Bridgerton experience going on in the city. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, I got nothing to do today. The weather's nice. I should check this out. And then I actually read up on it. And I thought, not for me. <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not for me alone. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's a traveling experience so it won't just stay in New York um, there's different locations for it let me look, look read it off there's actually I don't even know where it, <laughs> all I know is this is not the one location that they're going to be doing this they're going to have it in different cities kind of like how they have the, the Downton Abbey exhibit traveling but the idea though is that they're trying to create some kind of immersive, immersive experience like something you get in like, mm-hmm. a, a theater of like Sleep No More um, but they literally have people dressed up, performing, acrobatics, dancing. There's live music. There's specialty cocktails. Um, so it's like a whole actual thing. They even encourage you to dress up, which is just like yeah. There's no there's no way I'm showing up to that in like a t-shirt and shorts. Exactly. I mean, when I was looking this up, I was already out and about on Saturday. And I was like, I'm not going to just roll up in my um, you know sneakers and <laughs> uh, short sleeves and everything. Uh, but I mean. Yes, wine is included, uh, but a ticket itself was $77 before the booking fee of another $9. And I was like, I thought it would just be like, you know, a lean 25, 30 bucks, pop in for a couple hours, look at some costumes and get out of there. But no, no, they want you no, to... not at all. <laughs> yeah, spend some time, have the bridge. Yeah, when I experience. saw, I think you sent the billboard and I was like, oh, let me look into that. And I was like, okay, this is way not... What we're about. this it was like the disconnect between us and our listeners where it's like okay we like watching these shows and analyzing these shows but we don't put the costumes on the way that some people literally do not quite no which is but, good for them just not our bag I mean online it says the duration is ninety minutes it's probably I, I'm not sure if it's capped and how long you're going to be there but again you're treated to a whole performance and and drinks yeah it's it's a, it's a little too immersive for me dog I, I can't do it <laughs> I can't and go also that far. you know I don't sleep sleep no more is not the uh, most popular thing in the world to use as a reference point, but something tells me this is not nearly as immersive as Sleep No More. Right, and if people don't know what that is... I don't think you're getting lured down hallways by uh, Lord Featherington yeah, to side ask rooms. for money. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the immersive theater thing. I think, yeah, I'm not sure how immersive it is here. Um, but it does... Uh, there's, a, there's different packages where you can get the Queen's Ball fan and tiara. Um, you know that that's that's what you and I, Dave, are, are looking for out of our immersive. Oh, absolutely! That's the, we need tiaras. Yeah, I mean, I think our our listeners would uh, would really like it if we did floss out all the way and and take pictures with tiaras, and I would we wouldn't love it though. You you know, I think if we had enough heads up on this, and if it was the wintertime, because dressing up in the city in the summertime to go to an immersive experience is a little bit different. You you show up, you you're you set out with the best of intentions, and you just got this the sweaty pits. The, the, the chest uh-huh. sweat. 
Um, and also, what is what is dressing up for this event? Because this is not a suit. <laughs> well, this that, is period. <laughs> yeah, and you're on the risk too of just other tourists being there who didn't get the memo, and they're just wearing mm-hmm. you know, I heart New York shirts while you're all dressed to the nines, and then who's the weird one really? Everyone. I think everyone in that room is the weird one. <laughs> no Shonda judgment. counts her money. <laughs> yeah, no judgment to people who actually go to it, though. And if you do, oh, no, absolutely let us not. know. Yeah, if there's ever, like, a, if we could have a field reporter who went to this that we could interview or something, that would be great. The Queen's Ball at Bridgerton Experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And... I think we could jump right into episode three. Yeah, there's nothing going on with Poldark, Down Abbey. It's been a slow, slow summer, and maybe it's just asking too much to expect anything out of these shows. Uh, well, yeah, now with the strike, the I think things are going to slow down even more. That as well. I mean, you do run the risk of, does Gilead Age get pushed if people can't promote it? Because uh, that's a thing that's been going on. Who knows? But what we have right in front of us, though, is Belgravia. Episode yes. three. Immediately picking up where episode two left off, which, which is not really a, a common occurrence in a Julian Fellows tale. Mm-mm. I mean, since he's adapting it from his book, maybe that's probably why it's you know immediately following up on the. No, as, as he says in in the opening credits every day, written and from adapted from his novel and written by Julian. Fellows. Adapted from, interpreted by, <laughs> retold, translated. Uh, <laughs> Julian Fellows, the biggest fan of his own work. Um, so we see the Trenchards. They're not happy after the night out. Mm-hmm. Susan's All fine. Su- Susan's yeah. Okay. She's yeah. She's. I mean, who's happy to be around Oliver? <laughs> I mean, I didn't pick it up as much as you did last episode, Dave. But yeah, you're right. This guy's a loser. Mm-hmm. That's the theme of the episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, Oliver was saying it was such a terrible evening, and he, he you know, they're saying like you kept staring at that deg- degenerate, uh, you know, like, come on. But he 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 starts to talk to to Susan while the help is in the room, and. It's like that happens a few times this episode where it's like, wait a second, do we want the help listening into to me like talking down <laughs> to my significant other or discussing secrets or anything? Um, but he relates uh, relays to Susan that you know John, uh, but not Belasis is it Belasis? Yeah, yeah, John Belasis is going to be the one who inherits his father's or the his family's line, uh, so. You see the wheels start turning in Susan's head there. She, uh-huh. Just as we were talking about last week. This, this is going to work out great for her if this guy inherits everything and she's with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that, we do see the downstairs help say, oh, man, Mr. Oliver, he's always angry. And, you know, they, they, they're gossiping that, you know, it was probably the Belasis. And, yeah, just leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's a Spear seems to be uh, a very much aware of what's going on. She seems about three steps ahead of, of even Susan at a certain point in the beginning. Yeah, she, she's already connecting the dots like, oh, Susan's trying to do something here. Yeah, and we do see uh, Anne and James, and they're, they're still kind of not in the best of spots. No, they're kind of repeating what we saw last week, which is just that she blames him for helping out this uh, child and bringing him close and still not revealing the secret. He blames her for introducing this man to Brockenhurst and potentially revealing that their daughter was nothing more than a, in his words, a slut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, they're not they're not doing too great. Yeah, yeah. It, there's the line where where. They're in bed talking, and then Anne is like, "You gotta, you did this, you kept this from me. You need to go back to your own bedroom, boy." <laughs> but then he he makes the line on the way out the door, which I, I expected him to just eat the you know 
Eat the L and go. No, he can't do it. He's incapable of that. But I think what he says has a lot of truth to it, where he's like, because she tries to say that he kept Charles Pope away from them in order to further them socially. Like with the, and he, he retorts that there would be nothing. Like their family name would just be trash if, mm-hmm. if the, a bastard child was, was public information. Yeah. So I think he's coming from a place where he's like, I, I did this for everybody. I did this mm-hmm. for Oliver. I did it for you, for me. And not to mention Pope would probably be an outcast. Like yeah, his life was probably out. better. <clears throat> um, so what else? Well, people do seem to agree that Pope was a nice fellow, though. Oh, Pope is the talk of the town. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's commentary like Mar- Mariah's growing up well. <laughs> Although this is at the the Brockenhurst house, you know, Mariah, Mariah's grown up, yeah. grown, grown up well. And then um, we see Tom Wilkinson lament that Edmund would have been forty eight now. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much where they're at. Is that they're intrigued by this Pope guy? Don't know what his deal is. He's he's a note and outsider, but hey, if Lady Brockenhurst likes him, it must be just fine. It must be okay. Yeah. I think we see the sort of the the two sides of Lord Brock, the Earl of Brockenhurst in this episode, Tom Wilkinson, mm-hmm. where how he treats his wife with her her sudden interest, and she also doesn't reveal to the Earl that she you know that this information is what it is. So he thinks she's found this new sort of pet project, but he has no clue that it's his grandson. Which is wild because everyone is gossiping this episode that, oh man, they're going to put two and two together and forget, figure out that this Pope character is related to the families, and yet the Earl of Brockenhurst just can't see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't connect the dots. No, he can't. I get, uh, well, he's got a lot on his plate. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he does. So do, what do, we, do we want to just keep trying to to go down this piece by piece, or we do want to dive into a specific plot? Oh, we can keep going piece by piece. I, I don't know. Whatever you're feeling, man. Okay. Well, I think we can really talk about the Pope and Mariah of it all in two seconds. A very straightforward, simple story. Yeah. <laughs> he fancies her. Considering they're the middle of the poster, these two are have a... You know, you're they're really going to need to juice up four, five, and six for they're me to They're pretty dull. About. Yeah. <laughs> um. Not much going on. Yeah, they're two good-looking young people. Pope, Pope is, uh, you know, he seems happy with these sort of father figures and mother figures and grandmother figures in his life that are helping him. But he's also just like a guy. He reminds me a lot of uh, what's the um, Tom Rakes in Gilded Age, where he's just like mm. straight and narrow businessman getting the job done. Yeah, no, he's not particularly interesting. Yeah, but he—I don't think he has the sort of uh, nefarious intent that our friend uh, Tom Rakes did in the Gilded Age. Yeah, um, yeah. You do wish there was some more material than like even their flirtations in the park are like—I don't even want to say boilerplate. They're like non-existent. They're just kind of getting to know each other right now, and it seems like they're trying to rely on the chemistry that, between the the stars and El Pernell, who plays Mariah. She's been in things. I haven't really seen much of her, actually. But mm-hmm. I'm not getting much from her right here. And neither am I from, um, what's called, who plays John uh, Charles Pope, Jack Bardot. Not getting much from him either. And maybe that's a, wow, maybe that is a him thing. I'm just looking at the, his, uh, his uh, IMDb, the, the actor who plays Charles Pope, Jack Bardot. He yeah. has been, he's acted in five different things. Uh-huh. Uh, most of which are just TV work. And so it's kind of actually wild that this man has a starring role on Belgravia and he doesn't really have much of an acting career to speak of unless it's like a a stage. I guess he does have some dramatic background on, on the stage. Yes, he's done a lot of theater. I guess that's what he is. He's a theater boy. He's, he played yeah. Othello last year in, in London. Okay, well. 
Well, Fellows likes a, a couple of... He, Fellows likes a cast that's not a lot of power out of this. Yeah. And we see... Uh, what, how would you say? We see a, a, a diversity in results in those powerhouses when you watch a show like Gilded Age and this where... He, yeah. he played uh, uh, Miss, he, he played Mr. Bingley in Pride and Prejudice uh, in the theater, and that seems about right. <laughs> like he's the friend uh, of um, of your romantic lead. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he's he's not the main guy. Yeah, so these two basically have a, a chance encounter. Mariah wants to go to the library. Pope wants to go to his office because he's been jerked around this town by all these rich old people trying to mm-hmm. give him advice. And she's like, why don't you walk with me? And he's like, is that okay? And she's like, my mom would get mad if she found out, but who cares? Screw her. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, they, they walk around and, and she casually mentions, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to marry this John Belasis character. And then Charles Pope is like, well, that's it for me. I'm just going to well, have a good day. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Now we're going we're gonna to get like a, a, a shot where the camera is looking up at his face as he's sad and his giant top hat. You know what's funny is if the top hat just sunk on his head a little bit as he felt sad, it just fell he down. He like tipped it over and it tipped too much and it like flipped everywhere. <laughs> just make him look like a loser or something. This, yeah. As, as much as they, because I think the the problem that we're struggling with here is how much the conversation is around Charles Pope and how excited and interested everyone is in Charles Pope. But when we get him on the screen, it's just a vacuum. <laughs> that that's the, yeah. the what we're facing with this. Yeah, he's kind of a. Uh, uh, he, he's the the like the weirdest golden goose that Julian's ever you know put his money on. He feels like a MacGuffin. Like everyone's chasing him, <laughs> and he's just a non-existent character. And, and yeah. if there's if there's you know uh, defenders of the Pope character out there, come at us. Tell us where we're. Who wrong. knows? He could he could really turn it up in the next three episodes. As could Mariah, because yeah. they're both easy to look at, and I think that's kind of. What we're supposed to do, because I do think this this show and Julian in general does like to do a lot of like conventionally attractive versus regular people. I mean, I man, now now I'm getting petty, but I feel like he's easy to look at, but he's also easy to look past. You know, it's not like he's the most like yeah. man that's handsome. It's more like yeah, sure, <laughs> he'll do. And again, listeners, yeah, please cause, cause tell us Mar- if he's more attractive. Mar- Mariah Ella Parnell is like a looker. She's very easy to look at. Yeah, she's kind of cute. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Pope actually would be yeah, leveling up if you were if you were to get on her level, uh, both both just uh, in terms of socioeconomical status, but also just looks wise. People, I know it's not like we're saying we're like you know the most handsome man in the world, but we're just saying we've watched Bridgerton, we've seen the buns of the world. Guy, Pope, Pope isn't <laughs> any of the Bridgerton. We've seen men. cousin Matthew, and mm-hmm. and we've seen. The rest of the you've seen Mr. Bates. You've I mean, seen the yes. Hunks of hunks. If you cast Bates as Pope, oh my God, the the chemistry shoots off. Somehow the he's here. just about as old as his grandparents. <laughs> yes. But I guess the the Bates of it all shows that you don't need to be attractive to be charming. I, or rather, charm elevates attraction, and Bates has a certain sure. charm where Pope is just because conventionally art. attractive with no charm. That's it. That's exactly it. Pope is conventionally attractive. Bates is actually attractive, just not in the conventional way. But he is absolutely. I'm saying this as a straight yeah. man too. Again, Bates is absolutely attractive, just from my perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, like Branson is the best of all worlds. Branson. Oh yeah, Tom, Tom Branson. Branson. Sorry, I was. He's I was thinking, sort of Julian's ideal, where he's an interesting character, he's charming, mm-hmm. he's an outsider, and he's just naturally a hunk, and he's yeah. jacked. Yeah. No, that's fair. Are <laughs> like, you know, female older demographic that are the typical demographic for these shows are like these these young boys. They're speaking my language right now, talking about the hunkiness of all these these young men. I mean, that, that's that's what we're here for. And yeah, I we mean, we can please. we can finish off the John uh, John Pope of it all by talking about his his luncheon with uh, James Trenchard. Mm hmm. At the club. Yep. Did I say John Pope? I keep saying John Pope. It's Charles Pope. I think it's because I know Charles someone Pope. whose name was John Pope in my life. That's why. And, uh, and there's a and there's what John. 
John Bellasis. Like there's a John or, or there's John, a John Belushi on this too. I think uh, there's so many characters. Um, but yeah, James Trenchard, he's got uh, into an exclusive club, and mm-hmm. he kind of wants to treat uh, Charles Pope because he's heard the good news that Lady Brockenhurst has taken an interest and wants to invest in uh, his business. Yeah, and he winds up on several occasions throughout this lunch sort of besmirching and disrespecting the club and its its rules. Mm. Actually, I, I may have gotten that wrong. James hadn't heard yet that Brockenhurst has taken interest in investing. It, it was just more... He was talking about his, his Isle of Dogs, uh, Docs, um, Isle of Dogs. It is, it is dogs in the, in the captions this week. Okay, maybe it is Isle of Dogs. Um, but I think he was talking to him about the business there. That's why I was handing him the papers, right, to, to mm-hmm. Pope. Be like, this is what's going down, by the way. Um, but, yeah, and that's where he learns, too, that Brockenhurst is going to be investing. And as you were saying, Dave, no paperwork within the society. Yeah. It's against the rules to, have, to discuss business paperwork. I, I'm not sure what the orchestrations are uh, of this high high society uh, table. I mean, they, they do cock their eyebrows at Trenchard walking in there because obviously he's not among their their type there. But mm-hmm. he, he earned his way there from being a you know successful businessman, and now it's just uh, yeah, he's seeing that maybe Pope doesn't actually need him. Yeah, well, we see. I mean, this whole sort of. I feel like this is a big James Trenchard episode. Mm-hmm. And we see he's making making wheeling and dealing with a Cubit. Yeah. And Cubit is like, hey, aren't you supposed to be a member of this club? And he's like, hey, I'm on the waiting list. But he's like, all these Nepo babies start leapfrogging me and I get put to the back of the line. The Thanian. The Thanium. That's what it's called. Yeah. And I think it's one of those situations where you know, you don't know where you stand in line until you ask, and then when you ask, you get moved to the front of the line just to shut you up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like James is so, whether or not this is uh, apparent or transparent or, or legit or not, he is so like smitten with this new place in society that he's like basically pissing on their rules when he, they say you're not supposed to come for your first meal unless your sponsor's with you, and he's like. Is that a rule or is that a custom? He's yeah. like, oh, it's a custom. He goes, well, then let's break the custom for today. And then he starts dealing business. And when he's told to stop by this, you know, Jason Schwartzman looking waiter, he mm-hmm. says, is it Pope says to him, like, one should be happy to have business papers in a place like this. It proves that you're worth something. Yeah. And it's like, this idea, like he, they don't know how to handle their new money, James, and I think he's he's flying mm-hmm. very close to the sun here, as we see with him advocating for Oliver, yeah, to do some more work. Right, because Oliver is just sitting there the whole time while they're having lunch, and he's like, "Wait, you've been here with Pope the whole time?" It's like, "Well, who do you think your father was going to lunch, uh, you know, with? It wasn't the guy who sponsored him for this club, certainly, apparently." Um, and like a true child, the papers go flood, flying everywhere because because you know mm-hmm. not going to not going to discuss business with his father, and then that leads to the classic Julian punchline of James picking up the papers from his son of whatever business they're supposed to discuss around the Isle of Dogs, and him getting shouted at <laughs> for breaking the rules. And the waiter like eating humble pie and helping him clean it up. Mm-hmm. But we do see earlier in the episode and. And James is meeting with with Cubit where they're talking about the Isle of Dogs and all of these, the docks and all of the things that they're doing, his plans. And he says, hey, why don't we involve my son, Oliver? Mm. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't think your son was in business with you. And he goes, well, he's not really, but he's he's a little shy and he wants to be involved in the business. So basically, they're trying to give Oliver something to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're resistant to it because it's just like there's only so many people who can get a cut of this pie once it like pops off and we don't need one more person being part of this you know especially if it's your son who doesn't have any business acumen it seems like it doesn't sound like he's part of any of yeah. that stuff and you're like your new money don't try to start planting the seeds of, of your son having what he wants yeah 
and now here's the thing where I eat some humble, humble pie too. It is the Isle of Dogs. And um, if anyone's remotely British, they probably have been shouting at, at least me, for the past couple of weeks because it's been named the best place to live in London according to the National Sunday Paper in 2019. Like, it's a well-known area. Uh, it's a large peninsula bounded on three sides by a large meander in the River Thames in East London. There's a good chance I actually have walked through the Isle of Dogs while I've been in London. <laughs> so, well, blame Wes Anderson. That's the thing. Is like I didn't want to conflate it with that stupid movie about dogs. Uh, that's the truth of it. Um, but it makes sense in the narrative of Belgravia that they're involved in this up and coming nice area, and so you know, proves like it could be fortuitous for for Trenchard if they were to get involved with that. So mm-hmm. yes, there's an Isle of Dogs. <laughs> so what should, where should we go next? Because I feel like we got a couple more plots to discuss here. I, mean, I feel like our, our our main ladies Anne and Lady Brockenhurst are just sort of side players this week, which is a little disappointing considering how dynamic they've been. Yeah, I mean, because especially last week the the cliffhanger was like, oh, you did all this to reveal uh, Pope as being connected to your family, right? And then that was the cliffhanger. And then it's like this week, yeah, you know what? <laughs> just leave we'll that. There. Yeah, leave that on the oven cooking. Um. So, I, I mean, is there anything else to, to dig into rather than the rest of uh, the, the Brockenhurst uh, clan stuff? I mean, there's some downstairs stuff, but that ties into the Brockenhurst of it all. There's the Brockenhurst family, and then there's our, our, our pal Susan, I guess, who ties into the Brockenhurst. Correct. Yeah, so let's just jump into the Reverend, Stephen Velasquez. He comes knock, knock, knocking on, on his big brother's door. And he says, look, my face is messed up. A window. No, hit. he doesn't say that. Because he, he, he doesn't want people, anyone to mention it or, or notice it. He's, he's hoping, like, it doesn't look that bad, you know. And then Wilkins says, what happened to your nose, bro? And he goes, a window <laughs> broke on it. It wasn't his nose. It's, it's the scratches around his eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Uh, it's, yeah, it's supposed like a Tyrion Lannister. It's like threw a little on his bridge of his nose and his face. And Wilkinson is like, did you break a window? And he goes, no, a window broke near me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, no window broke. And we tell, get a, me, tell me why you're here. Yeah, we get a rare Julian flashback to how that happened. He was playing, uh, he was playing some kind of poker. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And he just kind of wanted to keep playing because he was losing. And the one guy who was winning all the money said, "You know, I'm done for the night." And he says, "No, I got to keep playing. I lost all my money." Well, that's not how it works, man. Sometimes you just don't get that money back. Uh, yeah, you don't just earn it like that. And the and it's sh- the guy he's in. Um, he's like the Jason Statham sidekick from Snatch, the Schmidt guy. Uh huh. I was like, I know this guy from something. I couldn't quite put my head on it. And oh, and looks like Snatch, if you go on his IMDb, is his first credit. Mm-hmm. So he is a... He's the big brute who's, who's like, if you don't get me a thousand pounds in two days, you'll have hell to pay. Yeah, he, he staked him in this game and he lost all the money, so he needs to get paid back. So that is why... We're going to Tom Wilkinson, the Earl of Brockenhurst house, and he he just straight up says, "No, I'm not giving you money, man. You have enough." Yeah, I'm I'm done bailing you out. When's the last time you came not asking for money? And he's like, "Um, I mean, does that really matter?" <laughs> it's like, yes, last, you just came for dinner, man. As yeah. brothers, we break bread. He says, "You only have yourself to blame." He says, "You had money." You have a salary from your church. Your wife is rich, and your wife gives. And, and I do give you money. I have given you money. Mm-hmm. Like you do this to yourself is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And the Reverend's like, "Come on, man! I'm a man of the cloth. You gonna do me like that?" Ba- barely a Reverend here. Um. And so along the way, we can just. You know, double back on the Susan of it, but all. But he's talking to his son John, telling him how mm-hmm. how he's got two days now, one day 
to, to pay off uh, this debt. And his son asks, well, how much, how much money are we talking? 1,000 pounds. Yeah. How long were they playing poker that night for? Or were they just doing big bets? I want to know what the, his big losses were. I want to know hour by hour what his, his pound breakdown was. Did he have an up hour and then he lost it all? Or did he just slowly grind into the ground? They don't really portray him to look like he knows what he's doing when it comes to poker or that he's any, any good at it. Yeah, because that's what his wife says. She's like, another bad night. And he's like, yep. Yeah, yeah. they had that brief scene where it's like, yeah, you, you had a rough night again, huh? So it mm-hmm. goes. So uh, the, oper- the, the way that James, no, John Belasis and his dad, the reverend, mm-hmm. two uh, you know, godly individuals, the solution is one of a couple things. And one is just go to the bank. They say the bank's not going to, it's going to take too long. Right, because they say since they're related to the Brockenhurst, they don't actually need the money. Like there's going to be other mm-hmm. people that are prioritized probably. The guy named Emil will give them the money, but it's a 50% return. Mm-hmm. So if he gives them 1000 to get out of this hole, they got to give him back 1500 He says, yeah. that's too much for me. And they said, well, it's an emergency situation. Yeah, what do you expect? You got 24 hours turnaround. So you're like, you know, will you pay a premium on staying alive? I would. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, then they start contemplating how they can get some dirt on this new hunk in town. Because mm-hmm. they said there's something. Because earlier in the episode, when he visits, uh, the Reverend notices that, um, was it? Pope is there, right? And he's meeting with yeah, the Yeah, he, he looks through the people of Pope and uh, Lady Brockenhurst are having tea. Yeah. And he thought, he thinks, isn't that odd? Hmm. And so the plan is to find out a little bit more about that. Yeah. So they're going to use more money to just get information from, from the Trenchard family because they know that James Trenchard is doing business with Pope. Well, they also say, like, well, he, John offers that he's friendly with a person in the family there, Susan. And mm-hmm. through that, he knows that there's the help there, and maybe he could talk to the help and get some information. And that brings us back to the Susan of it all. The Susan of it all. What a week for the Susan of it all. Mm hmm. So she so fancies. She- She's still yeah. She's into uh, into the the man John mm-hmm. John Balassus. Yeah. And when she finds out from her bum husband that she you know that he he's gonna come across the money, she starts her wheels start turning, and then like clockwork, she's having breakfast with her her mother in law. And she gets a letter mm-hmm. from Balassus. And he says, let's meet up. Which, I mean, she, she on the fly lies and said, oh, a friend has written me, um, you know, to come visit them. But, like, pretty bold of him to sign it with his name when it's knowing mm-hmm. that he's betrothed to someone else. Like, people would snoop in the letters all the time back then. What are you, what are you doing? And, and, and it wasn't like it was an illicit letter, but still kind of striking that, you know, you're asking someone to come meet up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and Spear is in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Spear, who is very much feels like a young O'Brien from Downton Abbey. Yeah. She's, she's in, and she seems ready to help. Right. And they come up with the lie that they're going to go dress shopping or fitting because because she's not allowed. Susan is not allowed to be in any of these society things because Anne is not opening enough doors for her. Yeah. She needs to just do things like sew and buy clothes. That's all her life is. Right. So the lie to get her to hang out with Balassus is she's going to try on some dresses. 
She got a dress fitting at three o'clock. Yep, and they they meet up in the park. Uh huh. And, and she had her little conversation with Spear before that is very interesting. Where Spear, she's like, "He's gonna try to seduce me." Yeah, I gotta play it cool because if I bow to him too quickly, he's gonna chew me up and spit me out. Yeah, you, it's a classic dating game of like you can't go all in. You gotta tease it out a little bit to make it make them want you. At least that's what I think it is, right? I, yeah, I mean that that kind of yeah. <laughs> but apparently to her, it's let's make plans to bang tomorrow. Right, because she comes back home. And she, you know, Oliver's in the room and she talks through this whole idea of, well, there's some gardens that she wants to go take a look at. You know, she doesn't get to get out much and wants to go take a look at them. Um, yeah, what's the place? Like Islawood or something like that? Islewood? Yeah, I think they say like, you know, they say it in a very British way, the way that Julian loves to say it. Yeah, Islaworth. Islaworth, okay. And yeah, Islaworth, yeah. There's a lot of kitchen farms and orchards and so she tells Spear that she's gonna play it cool and then Belasis is like I have a secret apartment out there Mm -hmm. and Susan's like oh well you'll have to show me or if I'm ever in Islaworth you'll have to show me and he goes sure okay and she goes tell me when to go and then it's like, well, tomorrow, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> in the next several days. Because God knows our, our boy, the Reverend, does not have to come up with his money by the time this episode ends. Right. So it's definitely less than two days. And like, what, what, what part of that is playing it slow? <laughs> she goes the next day. I know, no, I was surprised, too. Because like she, she made it sound like she's going to play, be smart and play the long game. Immediately is up with that guy and is a worth. Yeah. And not even just up with it, like, she goes home and she basically, this is the scene where we realize that Oliver is just a, one of the two scenes in this episode where we realize Oliver is a, Oliver is a total, like, dud. Mm-hmm. There's the one where he's reading the newspaper and his mom is like, shouldn't she be working? He goes, I got bored of work. Yeah. The next one is when he's like, oh, do you want me to go with you? And she's like, absolutely. I have four tours planned before, bre- or before lunch and then five more after. And he goes... I'm not going. Yeah. He, he just... And that's it. I mean, at least she tried to get him to go. Imagine if he did go mm-hmm. along. Just what would have happened? But no, Oliver is just a dud. So... And and then we have a couple scenes where John Belasis meets Spear, mm-hmm. which I think in and of itself feels like it should be a little bit more of an important scene because of the way Spear is seeming to manipulate... Or not manipulate... But the way Spears and Cahoots with Susan, you would assume that Spear might be either a little bit more conniving or a little bit more loyal, where she just happens to seem like someone that you paid her to give you information and she gave you the bare minimum for the a couple bucks. Yeah, she she tells him that you want to talk to Miss Ellis. She likes money too, at the horse and groom pub around noon at lunch. <laughs> and Turton. Our boy Turton. Right. Turton well, is the other one she should see because he goes out for, for something to eat right before lunch and dinner. Right. So yeah, those Tur- are the two you talk to. And then and then Belasis is like, can I trust you to be discreet? And she's like, yeah, sure. Bye. Yeah, just give me money. <laughs> I won't tell anyone anything. Just pay me. And uh, we do see one scene with Ellis talking about going to... Glanville, mm-hmm. where they're talking about how they're going to Glanville soon, which I know is probably just table setting for the future, but it seemed a little strange to make Ellis seem sympathetic. She just wants to be away from the hustle and bustle and relax for a couple of days, and they make fun of her for it. Yeah. So then we circle back, and just like that, we're on Islaworth, and Susan and John have already gotten down. Yep, they, they they did the de- the deed. He gets out of bed. He puts on some balloon pants. They're gigantic, and then the shirt he puts on over it is gigantic. I guess I just guess back then it was all about how much you fastened the clothes to make them look like mm-hmm. they fit. Because that's just like he looks like a genie in those clothes. They're so huge. Um, yeah, goes up to his nipples. His pants. Yeah, 
gotta let those things breathe a little bit. Um, and so she's in bed, and yeah, she she's getting dressed, and she needs some help with him buttoning her, her in. But she wants to make this a she's she's offering to make this a regular thing if necessary. Yeah, and she she does acknowledge the fact like the fact that you have a secret apartment really does make me wonder if this is the first time you've done this. Right. And he offers her like multiple locations they can meet at, right? Yeah, he said we'll have to pick the next place. Yeah. Also worth noting, which I think is going to be a thing here, she can't get pregnant. That's what she says. Yeah. But she says that her and Oliver have tried, and she's seen every doctor in town. She can't have a baby. Something tells me that uh, it's not a her. John Belasis is gonna gonna get a get a swimmer in there. I mean, Oliver seems like such a dud. It seems like it's possible that he's incapable of getting a woman pregnant. That's how much of a loser Oliver is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So they leave that kind of that way, right? That's really all we get out of them. Yeah. And and, and Spirit creates the alibi. She has some paperwork of Gordon's and Orchards for uh, Susan to take back to say, like, "Oh, I looked at something. Was interested in it." And she's like, well, mm-hmm. thanks, Spear. And it really is like, man, Spear's on top of this. Like, yeah, and, she... and Susan Susan does say that she, her family has money. Like, her father might be the one interested in buying these orchards. Not not necessarily Oliver. Right. So. Yeah. And and so we get John going to the, the pub. He sees Mr. Turton is out there drinking. And... He makes an introduction, very yeah. brief, and he's like, you know, we could do some business on a on a private matter. Uh, do you want to portray the transcripts? How you feel about that? How much they paying you? He says, and and there might be a little bit of a reward, and then Turton says, what's how much is a little bit? And then we fade to black. Yeah, it seems like they're they're gonna have to spend a little money to make a little money, to then get their dad out of some bad business. Sure. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I think that's pretty much the whole episode. I mean, we do get some more interactions with the the downstairs, like Mister Morris, mm-hmm. the redheaded guy. Not really well defined. He's he's just a helper. He seems to be like these people are not as fiercely loyal as the Downton staff. That that's the clear thing. Is like, yeah, they're not as in love with the upstairs staff. They don't think like these people are here for us all the way. But Morris Moore seems to be I think Morris and and Ellis seem to be a little better than Spear and Turton. Well, and that's the thing. Is like they're probably teasing out who may be the people to betray Turton down the line or something like that. Mhm. Or who's going to be the people that give up information about Pope? Maybe. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, this episode took a few turns. Uh, really, the, the um, Stephen Belasis of it all, getting uh, beaten up and everything, didn't expect that turn, but... This, it, is, this is a very solid middle-of-the-season fellows episode. Yeah, because last week we, we were acting like we had it all figured out. I still think a lot of what we said last week will stay true, but... Yeah, I'm prepared for the so score. I'm if you told me last week that in one episode, Susan would already commit adultery and move that far with with Belasis, I would have said you were full of it. Like even if you're watching this episode halfway through, I would have said you're full of it. <laughs> and just happy, yeah, because she says she's playing a slow game. Yeah. Do you think they cut some scenes or something like that? I don't know. I mean, maybe. If we ever read the book, we can we'll find yeah. out. Yeah, they just had to get this down to a lean six six episodes, forty five. Forty seven minutes is is incredible. I love it. Yeah, I mean, Downton in some of its early days was about that length, mm-hmm. but it, but it still felt like Downton was doing a lot more, <laughs> or had a lot mm-hmm. more moving pieces. Um, this still feels small in terms of its storytelling. Yeah, but I definitely felt by this episode. I was comfortable with the characters where I wasn't like looking up everybody's name every scene. I was like, all right, if I forget it, I know what they look. I know how to find them on the IMDb. Right. So he's he's gotten us to a point of comfort in three episodes. Yep. 
Yeah, it's funny. For an ensemble show with six episodes, that's very impressive on yeah. Jillian's part. It is funny. Like Aside from the, the finales and the holiday specials and the season openers, most out in episodes were around that 47, 49, 50-minute mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I do appreciate how lean it is. Um, so, yeah. This this show's doing fine for me. I, I don't. It, it it isn't as upbeat, you know, uh, as as you'd expect from Julian. But I don't think it's as much of a downer as was suggested going into this. Yeah, I mean far. that first episode is a real downer, but the rest, you know, so far we we, it's it's a little darker, I guess, in some of its themes than than Downton. But then again, Downton deals with a lot of really adult, depressing things as well. It just yeah. has. Other things to sugarcoat those. Right. We've had a person crying every episode this season on, on Belgravia. I mean, most of it's Anne. I think she cries again this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's just uh, that's just the nature of the subject here. But it isn't that, it isn't that dour. But, yeah, enjoying this halfway through, ready for the back half of it. All right. Well, we got power rankings. And Yeah. You want to get started this week? I'll start it. Um, there's a big fire truck going by right now. Okay, there we go. It's gone. That, yeah, you know, alarm. Here, here's the power rankings. Here you go. James Trenchard at number three. Going down. Going down. Uh, okay. He, he may have gotten into the club, but it doesn't look like he's going to be staying at the club. And the thing we did gloss over is him frustrated talking to Anne how he should have invested in Pope earlier, because now since he didn't invest in Pope and his business, it's going to be Brockenhurst who has a stake, a, a, a big stake. And so she'll get all the credit, and he'll be thankful to her rather than uh, Trenchard. And so he's really mad at himself about this. And then he's got a, a real son who's, who's mad at him also. Uh, so it's just not going great for, uh, for James, you know, all the way around. Aside from the Isle of Dogs doing okay. Yeah, business is booming. but His, rest... his wife is mad at him too. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he's got to sleep alone. Yeah. Well, I got the other p- paternal figure. I got a Wilkinson, the Earl of Brockenhurst at number three going down. Oh, yeah? Because this dude, you can tell that there's a scene with, with the Reverend where he's like, dude, I need the money. And the only reason you have the money and I don't is because you were born two years before me. And mm-hmm. I think we see that the this, this sort of weight of society has on on the Earl of Brockenhurst where he's kind of a passenger seat in like destiny where he yeah. he is sick of helping people but he also really hasn't done anything to earn the money mm-hmm. and then we also see that his wife and I think this is this is a, there's a lot of deception going on in this show all this stuff with Lady Brockenhurst is setting up for the Pope reveal of which she's not telling her husband and there's something else with him where, well, when he brings up the fact that the son would have been 48, like this dude's still thinking about the past. Like, right. His, his heart, he's got a heavy heart. He's got a big wallet and a big bank account, but a heavy heart. And he's being lied to, which I don't like. Yeah. It's crazy to think like if he was going to be 48, how old was he when he was with, uh, with Sophia? So 25 years prior, right? Because that's how old Charles Pope is. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So he's 23. How old was Oliver? How much younger is, like, how old is Oliver supposed to be? That's the one thing. They, they really make Oliver out, like, like he's, like, in his early 20s. But he, he could be, like, 30, the way this show is. Yeah, he's got to be. Um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, I, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment with uh, the Earl of Brockenhurst. And number two, these fire trucks outside just don't want me to get through this. Get through it. Power okay. through. Number two, we talked about him a lot, but Oliver is going down at number two for me. I got Oliver at number two as well. He's a loser. <laughs> he's a bum. He, he doesn't know what he's got. He's an embarrassment. Just try and learn some tricks from your dad. He's trying to help you. He's mm-hmm. trying to give you an opportunity, and you just are fine doing nothing. You're losing your wife also because you're a loser. Come on. Yeah, that plays into what I said about the Earl of Brockenhurst and uh, Deception. Oliver's mm-hmm. being played like a fool. Yeah. Look at the In every man. sense of the word, not only is she cheating on him, but she's telling him lies that he falls for. 
Oh, I'm looking at four kitchen farms. He's like, all right, bye. I don't want to deal with right this. Right to his face. Well, number one, it, for me, it was pretty easy. It's, it's Stephen Balassus, the reverend. It's the reverend, man. This, this poor guy. He's got one day to live, potentially. And they keep saying, like, you're a man of the cloth. And it's like, he's a bad man of the cloth. He stinks. He's bad at his job. And that's one thing, too, where I wonder about the pacing of the episode. Because, like, I don't think it happened before, but... You know, when he's talking to his dad and he hears the one day, it would have made more sense if he went back to Susan. It's like, let's meet tomorrow because I I want to do this now rather than just saying like, oh, we can meet tomorrow. You know. Uh-huh. Put a little just, motivation to him fooling around with her. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, keep it transactionary. But yeah, maybe Stephen will get out of it. I don't really care if he doesn't get out of it. This guy is uh, he's a bad person. There's a lot of bad characters here. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why people don't like this sh- or right. think this show's more depressing. There's a lot of unlikable characters. But I think Downton only has like three. Very few people to root for, and when the person you have to root for is Charles Pope, it's not giving you much inspiration there. <laughs> exactly. Well, Dave, who's going up? And number three, I got Susan. She's okay. not happy with her lot in life. She takes this little nugget of information. She got her girl Spear helping her tell lies, and she goes and has a good day. <laughs> that's true I don't think she's looking too far into the future and what kind of damage this will cause but I think in this sort of grand scheme of her mother-in-law is so disinterested in society that she thinks that she's being held back she's like well look let me go get mine mm-hmm. well number three I got the Earl Brockenhurst going up just mm-hmm. because of how decisively he tells his brother no I'm not giving you any more money <laughs> come on you I'll let for- you die yeah well he doesn't know that this is what's hanging over his head but he, he was just like you've asked me too many times how much more can you expect me to give you and again you only have yourself to blame no sympathy at mm-hmm. all so much respect to Tom Wilkinson being like I'm done can't get out of here <laughs> exactly well number two I got I got Charles Pope okay He's a charisma suck, but this dude is getting a huge investment from Lady Brockenhurst, which is going to change his life. Yeah, I mean, Business is about to be booming. What? That's what we said about him last week, though. And then, not to mention, I think he gets the bad news that Mariah is engaged. Mm-hmm. But he has a really nice conversation with this pretty lady who is infinitely more charismatic than him. And... He's got a good relationship with these business. It seems like his networking is paying off. Like his LinkedIn skills have really done good work this week. I'm, he, he's in another world for me this week. He's not in the rankings, uh, Charles Pope, because he, you know, it doesn't mean anything if he doesn't have uh, a girl on his arm, and it ain't going to be Mariah. Okay. So, okay. all right, we'll see about that. He, he's a bit of a loser this week for me. And he's got a big hat, and who cares that you got people investing in you? <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you, you need a girl, bro. Um, number two, I got Spear. She's pulling the, the, the levers. She's pushing the right buttons. She's making a little money for herself on the side. I like how the way she's kind of like Susan and John don't even recognize how much of a motivating factor she is in bringing the two of them together. She's seeing all the angles. She's playing the 4D chess. I, I want to know what Spear's endgame is before I start throwing her points. I, I think it's just to get a little bit more money. Uh, it's funny because they do question the episode. Like, why don't you become like, you know, uh, a nurse? And, just, you know, it's like, I don't want to be involved with all that blood and everything. This is all I can do. <laughs> and just gonna look at her. She's good it. at it. Yeah. Well, Dave, who's number well, one? Number, at number one, I got John Balassus, man. Same. Same. This guy, this guy is playing the game. You know, he's fooling around with this. Susan, mm-hmm. and he seems to be looking right through Mariah, yep. who is better than nicer and kinder than Susan, but he doesn't care. Nope. He wants to wet his whistle, let him go, do it that way. When he finds out his dad is on hard times, he takes it upon himself to figure out the best and least uh, you know, expensive way to get that money, which is just blackmail this family that has information that he wants to use. Like he just he's just slithering this week. And you know what's kind of wild though is that 
they choose that option even though they know it has something to do with their family this guy uh-huh. something there's something there they'd rather risk finding out whatever that is than just plowing ahead with spending more money but whatever man uh yeah gotta do what you gotta do this guy's just having a ball this week of trying to run things get a little action has a few homes that we find out about that he likes to hang out he's never where he's supposed to be this guy's living a life yeah, I don't like him, but he nope. wins. He's a winner. Respect the game. No, no, don't respect the game. Respect the hustle. Or whatever hustle you can call whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, don't hate don't hate him. Hate the game. That's that's what it is, really, truly. It's a good week for Bill Gravia. It's been a good week. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Dave, you been watching anything else? I so I've been watching I've been watching at the gym a show that is bit got me in and I didn't think it would okay but a show that we both did not like part one of oh we were on the record as not liking it it's the ultimatum the queer love version oh oh did you watch the you watched the first season right of yeah ultimatum? I watched the first season okay. I thought it was very boring uh, yeah it, it didn't fully work but so how was this season this is everything you wanted in that first season really it's incredible tell me more and I'm I'm not trying, you know, I'm I'm a straight man. Sure. So I'm coming as an outsider looking in. The fact that it's all women mm. and I think gay culture in general acts differently about sex stuff than than LGBT straight people. Peoples. So like yeah. there's a lot more of the like cuz for those that don't know the ultimatum is like your partner tells you they you you need to get married or move on. So they go into mm-hmm. trial marriages with different people and the trial marriages are insane. Yeah. And there's all these characters are dynamic. It's like a very, and I think it's very enlightening too, as a straight person that like, these are what kind of people are attracted to each other and mm-hmm. they're going against type. And there's this like conventionally attractive and more masculine. And it's, it's, it's an eye opener and it's fun. Like it's a very okay. soapy. So if, how many episodes are you in? Um, so I just got past the trial marriages ending. So they're going back to their original partner for this. So I'm on the back half. I'm starting the back half of this. Wow. Show. Okay. Well, now you have me intrigued. I, I got to find time to watch it. There's just, there's too much in t- TV to watch, but that's, I did like the idea of the ultimatum. That was the people who are on it that weren't the best. And there's no, like you want the people to kind of fully embrace it. And like the, they maybe like kiss their fake partner and you're like, yeah. no, no, no. I want I want there to be some moral questioning at the end of this. And the <laughs> ladies go for it. So Okay. Cool. Check that one out then. <laughs> what about you? Anything good? Um well, I've been just watching a lot of summer TV. Been watching The Bear. It's absolutely taken the mantle mm-hmm. as the best show still airing on TV right now, I think. Uh and then mixing that with catching up on Better Call Saul from last year, which oh my mm-hmm. God. <laughs> I mean, because it was on AMC, I couldn't really watch it live, but Man, that I, I've said before, it's one of the best shows on TV. It, it's definitely kept up that pace in the last. That, that's a show that's so good that you just forget to pick it back up when you put it down yeah. because it, I, it'll be there when I want it. But there's no urgency, right? But there should be urgency. Like I haven't finished that show. Yeah, uh, Justified came back. I watched the first episode. Oh yeah, I got to do that. Feels like Justified is back. <laughs> um, and then uh, what else? Uh, then I did the Barbenheimer. I did it. Oh, you did both of them. Did both of them. Uh, Not in one day, though, right? No, no. It was cool because I live in New York. This is the, like the one place in the world where movies will sell out, and then you're just out of luck for the rest of the weekend if it's, it's sold out. Mm-hmm. So I saw there was an opening on Thursday after work to see Oppenheimer. Didn't plan on it. Just audible, bought a ticket, saw Oppenheimer. It was good. And then, then I got a ticket for Sunday. I really should have thought this through, but I got a ticket on Sunday for Barbie at 1220. I forgot that this is targeted towards kids a little bit. It's a theater uh-huh. that had a lot of children. There was, there was a, literally a five-year-old boy who was sitting next to me while his mom repeatedly told him to, to shut up throughout the movie, just stating how <laughs> bored he was. And he, he, we had the recliner well, chairs. I mean, that's it. Why, I don't know. Like I know gender norms are different than they were when yeah. we were kids, but Bar- I don't think Barbie was a, a boy's kid's movie, if it's a kid's movie. Well, well the, the mom showed up in a, in a pink dress, short skirt, Massive hat on her head, uh, and with oh, two. She, she just couldn't find a sitter. 
I think that's what it is. She had her two daughters with her, and then the boy was there, and the boy just kept moving the recliner chair up and down, telling his mom every five minutes he was bored. Um, I tried to not let it distract me <laughs> all that much. I, it was uh, it was fine too. The movie was fine too. I liked it too. Okay. Yeah. Ringing endorsements. <laughs> I, in terms of movies I saw this year, neither were my favorite, but they both did stuff I liked. If I had to choose between the two, I'd probably go Barbie. That's just where my where my thought process goes. But yeah, fine fine films. <laughs> well, one is three hours long and about creating the nuke, so. Yeah, and, and that always uh, gets to me a little bit. It's just the self-importance of the Christopher Nolan movies where it's just like, this is so important. And it's like, I, I've, I saw the trailer. I, I, I get it. I know the mm-hmm. story, man. Just be easy. And then even Barbie gets a little bit into some preachiness where it's just like, yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Both of you just rein it in a little bit. but I got it, Greta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still good times, though. So still good. And okay. Barbie, Barbie made me actually laugh. Ryan Gosling specifically really made me laugh and there's some really sharp jokes in it. So it's probably actually one of the better comedies I've seen in a long time at Barbie. Uh, okay. So, Good to know. Yeah. There's that. Um, and also Lady Whistledown makes a brief appearance in Barbie. So there you go. Who does? Lady Whistledown from Bridgerton. Oh. And I, I put it on our Lords of Grantham Lounge too, but there's a very incisive joke on a certain BBC adaptation that we covered uh, once upon a time. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. had me laughing strongly on the inside um, okay yeah so that's that wow we're at an hour and that's that Whew. we're at an hour we crossed oh. the threshold okay well listeners thank you for sticking with us I didn't anticipate us going that long but uh if you want to hear we more did. of us you did you did they did the oh, listeners did. did no uh you can find us on any podcast platform you, you listen to your podcasts on. Leave us five-star ratings and reviews if you so choose. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, at lordsgrantham at gmail.com, Twitter. Or for, uh, <laughs> I'm not calling it X. You can find us on Twitter. That's so asinine. Um, <laughs> what a dumb man. Elon Musk is a really, really dumb man. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you know, you can find also our backlog on our Podbean too and our Patreon. You can connect with us on our Lord's Grantham Lounge. And so, we'll catch you next week on the pod. Yeah.